Okay, we might. Um, we're going to be looking at First Peter chapter five uh, this afternoon, and uh, we've had a look through First Peter and uh, through the, the encouragements of uh, how to deal with suffering. And this this week uh, we mentioned it a little bit, but we. Uh, look more at um, how we should be um, living to encourage one another and to um, to be examples for uh, one another. But before we start reading, let's um, let's open. With, let's let's just pray and ask God's blessing. Father, we give you thanks for this afternoon. We thank you for uh, the time of remembrance that we've been able to have and praise and worship and uh, considering all that you have done for us. Uh, Father, we give you thanks that we are able to come and join together uh, in that. Now, Father, as we open your word, we pray that you would speak to us. We pray that your word would come to us today in power, uh, the power to transform us, to change us, to regenerate us and to make old things new and to uh, help us uh, be examples for one another and for the world that doesn't know you. Uh, Father, we pray that your spirit would work in our hearts, that we might uh, might not be my words that are spoken, but yours. Uh, Father, we ask that you would speak to each of us and show us uh, where it is that you would have us to apply uh, what we learn this afternoon, uh, Father, to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, now let's read together from First Peter chapter five. The elders who are among you, I exhort, who I am, I, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly, nor as being lords over those who those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away likewise you younger people submit yourselves to the elders yes all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, perfect, establish, strengthen and settle you. To him be glory and dominion for ever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, uh, the elect to gather uh, together with you, greets you. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. 
Amen. Peter, here in chapter 5, is giving instruction to the church elders, to the elders of the church. But I think the instruction that is given holds good for anyone in leadership, any form of leadership. Um, as much as it's instruction to the elders, it's good for us all to listen to and to apply, especially those who have a desire to become a leader in the future. These things need to be worked on now so that when the time comes, it's not a massive change that has to take place, uh, but it's already part of your character that has been developed over time. He speaks there of, of humility, of being humble, and we need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, it says. Because if God does it, or if somebody else does it, it will hurt a whole lot more than if we do it ourselves. If we choose to humble ourselves, it will go better for us than if God humbles us, uh, because it will, um, it, it, it may, not that it will, but it may um, sort of hurt a lot more than if we choose to do it ourselves. Um, it says there um, that if we are to uh, shepherd the flock of God, um, that to, not to do it under compulsion. Sometimes the job has to be done, but we don't have to make it obvious to everyone that we're doing it by grumbling and complaining. Don't do it under compulsion. Do it willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. But when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. What a day that will be when the chief shepherd does appear and we are taken home to be with him. That's what Dad's been looking at in Thessalonians, the, the return of Jesus Christ when... He comes to call us home. Um, and then, if we have been, it says there being examples to the flock, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. So being examples to the flock. Being an example is inevitable. Whether we are a good example or a bad example is another thing. But being an example is always going to take place. We always have influence on other people and how our behaviour uh, affects uh, those around us and it has influence and they, they, they follow, they copy, especially the younger ones. So those of us who are uh, in any form of leadership, whether it's church leadership or whether it's, just, um, whether it's leadership in any other capacity need to be setting good examples for those who would come behind us, those who would follow, those who would grow up underneath us. <clears throat> so setting an example uh, is an ine inevitable part of life. What we believe or what we, what we say we believe needs to be consistent with the way we behave. Because the way we behave is actually what we believe, if you, if you can follow that. What we say we believe needs to be consistent with how we behave because how we behave <coughs> is actually 
what we believe. It goes on there to say being clothed with humility, specifically speaking to, to the younger ones, but to all of us, being clothed with humility. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. The clothes we wear identify, we're able to be identified by them. If somebody is lost and the call goes out, uh, the, the, the news report will tell what the, the person was, was wearing last so that people can keep an eye out for them and see who they are or where they, where they are. If the police are looking for somebody that's done the wrong thing, they will tell them what clothes they were in when they committed the crime so that people can keep an eye out. There are gangs that, that dress the same way or all wear the same colour so that they can be identified as to which gang the, the individual belongs to. But being clothed with humility means that um, we should, or humility should be what identifies us. People should be able to tell um, who we are, what, what we, the way, by the way we live. If we are humble people, if we are clothed with humility, it's what should uh, identify us, what people should be able to identify us by. Verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Micah 6 verse 8 up here on the window says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. We are to humble ourselves. Not just so that we can be exalted. It says there, so that at the proper time you might be exalted. But it's not, we don't humble ourselves just so that we can be exalted. I think the word so there means because. And we humble ourselves... Um, we don't humble ourselves to be exalted, but because we humble ourselves, we will be exalted. If we do it just to be exalted, that's a selfish motive on our behalf. But we need to humble ourselves regardless of whether or not we uh, get exalted. But, it says there, that at the proper time God will exalt you if you humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. <coughs> Verse 7, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 we're told, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Worrying is believing that God won't get it right. Bitterness is believing that God got it wrong. So it's easy to say that we should cast our cares on God, but it's difficult to do. It's easy to, to, to share that with one another and, and when, we, when we share about our worries and our difficulties, it's easy just to say, oh, well, you know, cast, you know, quote the verse, cast your anxieties on, on him because he cares for you. That's an easy thing to say. But it's a bit, bit more difficult to actually do. We often cast our cares on God and then we, we pick them back up and we want to run with them ourselves. 
But he's saying, cast your cares on him. Leave them there. Allow God to deal with them. We can easily get entangled. Our minds can get uh, tangled up with the cares of the world and, and we get worried about what will happen. You know, the small worries we can leave to God, but the big ones we, we, you know, we, we think that we can deal with them ourselves. We need to learn to trust him. And if we can leave the little cares and worries with God in time when that trust is developed, that will enable us to leave the bigger ones with him as well. But it's not easy to do. It's harder to do than, uh, than we'd like to admit. And oftentimes we don't leave our worries with God. We try and deal with them ourselves. In that respect, go down to verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the, the same kinds of suffering are being ex experienced by the brotherhood throughout the world. We need to be seriously minded about life about the fact that we have an enemy and that enemy is out to devour us. We need to be alert, watchful, because the, the, the attacks of the devil can come from anywhere at any time. And if we're not sober-minded, if we're not watchful, we'll be caught off guard and destroyed by the devil. You can see in the world today the devil is having a field day. We need to be those who are uh, serious about life and serious about the, the fact that he is... He would like people to, to believe that he doesn't exist, but he does exist. And he's out seeking to devour uh, anyone that's not on guard against him. Verse 10, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his, to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Whatever the trial, whatever the suffering we face, we need to remember that the God of all grace is the one who is still in control of all things. And he is the one who is able to bring things together for our good. Romans 8.28 We know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. He is able to have all of these our worries and our concerns in his control. And after we have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. Four things. Restore. You know, like somebody restores an old car. They fix it right up. Bring it back from the rust pile and into the condition almost to what it was when it was brand new. That's what God says he'll do for us. 
He'll restore us. He'll bring us back. He'll, he'll, he'll uh, fix us right back up. After the, the, the trials and the suffering that we've been through, he will restore us. He'll confirm us. That is, he'll give us assurance that the restoration was necessary. And what we're going through, and we're, you know, it's going uh, the way it should. Even if it doesn't look like it from our perspective, it is from his. Because he can work it all for our good. And he'll confirm that to us. He'll confirm that we are in his will and in his care. And he'll confirm to us that he's still in control and we can trust him. But he'll strengthen us. The trials and the suffering are brought to us by the enemy to try us and to try and weaken us. But God, but while God is restoring and confirming, the trials that we face have the opposite effect. God is able to strengthen us if we turn to him and don't, don't try and face them in our own strength. And then it says he will establish us. Establish is a similar word to foundation, planted firmly. If something is established, it's locked in permanently. Once we've been restored, confirmed and strengthened, we can stand firm, established in the true grace of God, which... Peter speaks about in the next verse. We can stand in the true grace of the God of all grace. It says there back in verse 10, that the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus. So we can stand in the true grace of the God of all grace. In verse 12 he says, By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Be established in it, in the grace of God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9 says, For by the grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not, of, not as a result of works that no one should boast. We are to stand firm in the true grace of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Stand firm. Knowing that we're not standing in our own strength. Stand firm in the grace of God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 24 says, uh, And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Stand firm, Peter says, knowing that we have been redeemed, not by works, but by grace that has come through Jesus Christ. Stand firm. Acts chapter 15, verse 11. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Stand firm knowing that we are saved from sin and from the wrath to come. Stand firm in the grace of God. When we face the trials and the, and the suffering that is to come, stand firm. 
Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, we read this two weeks ago. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Stand firm and use the gift that God has given you to encourage one another to also stand firm in the grace of God. Stand firm. The God of all grace will establish the verses said earlier. Um, James chapter 4 and verse 6, but he gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Stand firm with a humble attitude knowing that God is able to give us more grace if it's needed. Stand firm in the grace of God. Stand firm. Verse 13, she who, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends send you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all in Christ. We don't know exactly who uh, Peter's referring to in verse 13 um, from Babylon, but um, assumptions can be made, but we won't go into that. The assumption can be made also that Mark, that he's speaking of here, is the one who, who wrote the Gospel of Mark from Peter's eyewitnesses, witness accounts. But we don't know. But we can. Uh, it's written there, uh, but it's not uh, made clear who they are. Um, but the last verse, verse 14 says, um, Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all in Christ, who are in Christ. Peter is referring to the fact that we should love one another. Whether we greet each other with a kiss or not, whether it's a handshake or a hug, the fact remains that we should be loving towards one another. And that's evident throughout scripture, that we should uh, be those who love one another. Um... And Peter says at the very end, peace to you all, to all of you who have been going through the suffering, through the persecution, my prayer for you is that you will have peace. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We have that, that little phrase again. He says it there at the, at the end, peace to you all, or, or peace to all of you who are in Christ. In Philippians it says, we'll guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If we are wanting peace, we need to be in Christ. We need to be in Christ Jesus. Peace with one another. Peace in our homes. Peace in our workplace. Peace with what's happening in the world around us that's outside of our control. If, that, if we want peace then we need to be in Christ. If we don't have peace with God through his son, Jesus Christ, we won't have peace in our hearts or peace with one another. In Christ, that's us positionally sanctified. We are 
those who have received salvation, those who have repented of their sins and been saved, are in Christ. That's our position. We're sanctified, we're set apart to be uh, God's people. So we're positionally sanctified. As we continue on in our walk with Christ, we go through practical sanctification, where we become more like Christ where we become more obedient to his word and we take on the attributes of Christ. We love people the way he would love. We, we serve people. We, we, we are humble people. Those who are in Christ. The practical sanctification is that we become more like Christ. And when we get to heaven, when the chief shepherd appears and takes us home, we won't just be positionally sanctified. We won't be practically sanctified. We'll be perfectly sanctified. And we'll never sin again. Imagine that. Imagine being able to, uh, to have life without sin, without suffering, without pain, without the things that we go through here in this life. So we're positionally sanctified, we're in Christ. Practically sanctified, we're becoming like Christ. And perfectly sanctified, we will be like Christ. Sinless. And we'll live with him forevermore. Now may that be an encouragement to you this evening. Um, may it be that we uh, can humble ourselves and we can serve one another, we can love one another. We can um, encourage one another and spur one another on to love and good works. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you for the challenges in it and the encouragements in it. Uh, Father, we ask that you would um, help us through the week uh, to uh, be obedient to your word. Uh, help us, Father, to uh, humble ourselves and to uh, not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Um, but that we might um, see others as, uh, as more important and, and we might be able to serve and bless and honour them. Uh, Father, we, we pray. So Lord, we ask you to help us to love one another and to grow in our love for you and for each other, Father, we pray. Lord, we just ask that you just uh, bless uh, this afternoon, bless each one that's been here with us today. Uh, Father, and now as we uh, have a meal together and a time of fellowship, we pray that you would bless the time together and bless the food to our bodies. We give you thanks for the food. Thank you for those who have uh, contributed. And uh, Father, now we just pray that you would bless this food to our bodies and our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Uh, I'd just like to encourage...